mess it around. I got this new energy drink, uh, Bang, <laughs> that I'm trying out right now. Uh, it's called Bang. Uh, they couldn't have thought of a better name than no, that. No, I think that they purposely went for a more obscene name to just get people's curiosity. Um, well, it's an attention grabber, I'll say that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to drink some Bang? Yeah, I know. I'll have one bang, please. Can I have a bang, please? <laughs> Come on. Uh, do you want it now or do you want it later? I want it now, of course. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, did you see? Did you see anything good this week? Andrew? Uh, no. It's that January month where I don't go to the. You don't go to the theater as much, yeah. No, it's mostly just stuff of me staying at home and not freezing because it's been freezing yeah. lately yeah um yeah since since the last time we talked which was a week ago i haven't seen much um I, yeah i mean i mean we've kind of gotten past seeing some of the movies that like were like uh coming out late from the oscar you know stuff like we've seen some of them them indie films now and now we're kind of just starting to really uh begin the new year and uh you know as as you said there's just not a lot that happens no. at the beginning of the year that um, also, you know, it's mostly, I mean, January is kind of the catch up month for me. I know now we're, you know, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be February. We yeah. are now one month into 2019, which is still shocking to me. Um, but what I did end up catching up on was the documentary Three Identical Strangers. Yeah, yeah. Which I know both you and our friend Dan had seen when we did our top 10 show a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I just didn't didn't watch it in time for that show, and I didn't really pay attention to seek it out or anything like that. But I'm glad I did because it's a hell of a documentary. It's it's really an eye catcher and has a wow factor to it. And I can see why there's been so much buzz around it all last year, and why it got nominated for for an Oscar and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really really good and thought provoking. Um, do, do you think it would have made your top 10 if you'd have saw it earlier probably not i don't think yeah, it would have yeah. been i mean i put it on my letterbox list and it's not it's not in my top 10 or top 20 so no i don't think it would have it wouldn't have changed anything but it would have made me more part of the conversation when you guys were having sure it. sure um other kind of things that have come up this week i think is interesting for us to um talk about very briefly before we get into this spotlight is that we we have talked about physical media and digital media uh, or streaming or whatever you know several times and it's very interesting that this week that one of the kind of major sources of digital versions of movies is shutting down this year yeah yeah the, and, um, I, and that is ultraviolet yeah yeah which has been around since 2011 and just for people who aren't aware of basically for years and years and years now, when you buy a movie, a physical copy of a movie, you get a digital version of that movie as well. And sometimes it comes in different versions of that, you know, ultraviolet movies anywhere, voodoo, you get a voodoo copy. Um, basically, ultraviolet was one of the major ones and it's, you know, shutting down shop in, in very, very soon. I think I think it was supposed to be the end of this month, this past month. Yeah, it's either the end of February or I or maybe or maybe March, not quite sure. I think it's February, but either way, it's it just shows 
you know, once again, that kind of major negative aspect of digital versions of media is they can go away. They're not permanent. They're not uh, all, all long lasting. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you don't, if you don't, uh, you know, they give you this option to like link your stuff up with yeah. with with yeah. movies any, any anywhere, yeah, or everywhere, or whatever it's called. There's a way to save your backlog. Yeah, it just says like if you know, if, if you, you don't do it by it, a certain time, you lose it. You lose it all, and that's you know yeah. that's money. And and I know a lot of people who, uh, very many many collectors out there collect just the digital version of the movies. Yeah, like there's a lot. Of I mean, dude, copies. every time I. Every time I post a movie on Instagram, somebody's asking me for my digital code. <laughs> yeah, I got I got those a lot, and I don't get them that much anymore. I kind of just ignore them, anyways. Um, yeah, because a lot of people will buy physical the physical copies, keep the digital version, and then just sell the physical copies and make some money. Well, back. That, that's that's why I don't do it. I don't give them out not only because I use it as a backup, but I know they're just going to go make money off of it. And I'm like, screw you! I'm going <laughs> to I paid for this thing. You're not or, you're not going to make money off of it. Technically, you're giving you're giving them a free movie or free. Yeah, I'm not, no, <laughs> I spend money on it. I'm giving you a free movie. Screw you! I'm sorry. Um, I pay good money for my movies. I'm not giving away any aspect of what I paid for. Um, I mean, it, unless I want to do it, unless I, you know, like I'm willing to donate it to people. Like if it's my choice, then that's my, it's my choice. But right. most of the time when I see people go just come at me and ask me for it, I'm like, no. No, I you usually know? like if, if I'm going to give something away, it's going to be from to somebody I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like not like, a like stranger I, on the Internet. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I mean. Certain movies I like to have the backup for, but a lot of stuff I'm I'm willing to just give away if I'm in the mood. If I'm in the giving mood, I will give them away. But usually I don't. So, but um, yeah, it's there's that, and you know, with that uh, downfall of that, you know, we kind of got a more concrete announcement about the Criter Criterion Channel, um, yes. which is coming out April 18th. Yes. So that's cool. April. I don't know the exact date. Steve, I think it was April 18th. Right. I think it was 18th. You're probably right. And yeah. they're still taking our early signups now. Yeah, which I did already. To become yeah, a, yeah. a charter member, you can basically lock in your your uh, uh, subscription price now, uh, which I think is what, $9.99 a month or $89.99 for mm -hmm. a year. Yeah. And right, right away, actually, they have a movie available to screen already. Yeah, you can do them. They're going to do new, one new movie a week. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of like a little preview, a little taste of what I think this week become. they have they had Mikey and Nikki playing. Yes, so. yes, they did. But uh, the movie by Elaine May, I believe, yeah. which recently had a Blu-ray and DVD release come out from the from Criterion. So yeah. we're not quite sure of the scope of their catalog yet in terms of what they're going to be offering. If it's going to be their entire Criterion Collection catalog, or most of it, or yeah, I, I kind of think of what what we're gonna. I mean, there might there's probably a little bit more to it than we know yet, but like, um, I would assume like if you think about Filmstruck and think about what just the Criterion uh, version, like, yeah, the Criterion Channel version of Filmstruck was, right. that's kind of what we're gonna get here, and maybe some more surprises, maybe, but yeah, um, you it know, wasn't, I, yeah. yeah, and I know it wasn't the entire collection on. No, on, no, no, no. On Filmstruck, it was it was a good portion of it, um, but I'm I'm curious what other deals that they may have possibly made to get other maybe non-Criterion films in there or potential Criterion films in yeah. there. Like, will they use it as a testing ground uh, to 
add films to the collection or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that came out through Criterion this week, there was a little behind-the-scenes leak, if you will, where potentially or probably they're going to announce that Blue Velvet is going to come Ooh. to the collection. Uh, David Lynch's film from the late 80s. Starring I just Kyle bought Wiggler. that damn thing on Blu-ray. I know. I've had Blu-ray for years <laughs> myself. So it's like, ah, double-dipping again, but yeah. it'll be well worth it. I'm well, luckily, it was only like... 10 bucks or something like that. I'm assuming, you know, we'll get the usual uh, new transfer restoration, perhaps new special features and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming all that. But yeah, I believe I, I, I would have to look it up directly, but basically somebody went there and it's on Instagram, it's on Criterion Cast and, you know, all these sites that cover Criterion where someone went there and they screened something and they saw that they were um screening blue velvet for an upcoming release and criterion hadn't announced it yet uh, yeah i believe they were screening police story and blue velvet because they're working on police story you know, yeah 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 starring and directed by jackie chan coming out soon but blue velvet we didn't know about so that was a nice surprise Ooh. not a not a big surprise because i mean they've released a lot a couple, of lynch yeah. a lot of lynch i know they've got yeah Mulholland drive's been released eraser has been released um fire to fire walk with me yeah fire walk with me has been released and i know they have the rights to all of his short films as well as that they had that isn't there one of his documentary on him yeah i think that also came out as well yeah and then they have i believe they have the rights to dumbland as well which is the one the one everybody wants is lost highways i've heard a lot of people saying they want lost highways yeah i would want lost highway as well because it doesn't even have a blu-ray release at least here in the united states it doesn't it may have it in the uk but not not here and what's the Um, other one empire inland yeah inland empire which or inland empire yeah which is his last feature film doesn't have a blu-ray release either here so that would be another another big get for david lynch fans like myself um yeah i kind of can't wait for that blue velvet's a weird movie (laughs) so (laughs) i i mean david lynch's catalog is weird in general but blue velvet i watched that that was one of my first lynch films or maybe my first lynch film and it's like it's a it's a dive into the deep end you yeah, know what i yeah, mean yeah. i always tell people to you know you want to wade into the into the shallows when you get into it's kind of it's kind of hard to tell people where to start with lynch yeah because, it's just like, all very and you, you can't know. start early with him because the racer head is unlike anything you've ever yeah. seen before uh dune is a movie that's not really <laughs> lynchian you know that's a movie that was basically he did for the main studios and then they they dictated what the movie would, yeah. would look like and be and whatever. Uh, so, yeah, that's you one just of gotta pick one. You just, just kind of uh, have to dive I, in. I mean, I, if you want to pick the two, I think either Eraserhead or Mulholland Drive are kind of the ones that people say you need to see them. So, if you're going to pick two really good ones, them are the two. But yeah, um, I mean, it, it, like you, like we said, it's there's no, it's hard to pick one because they're all weird. Um, they're all going to test you. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like Wild at Heart. Um, yeah, yeah. The movie he was working on, like Wild Twin Peaks, was out. To be honest, I would say watch Twin Peaks uh, if you want to like ease your way into it because it's it's long form David Lynch, yeah. which is a little more digestible than him, you know, throwing, throwing it all at, at you, you in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> But um, all right. Well, we 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 had a little casual discussion yeah. about some Criterion stuff there and and some Lynch there at the beginning. But we're going to get into our main focus. Yes. Here on this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project, 
and if you don't know us, if you're meeting us for the first time, I'm Stephen Billings, and with me is Andrew Cabral. Yes. And um, this week we're gonna. This is, I think, our fourth spotlight. Um, and what we do in these spotlights is we do break down the movie and we go into spoiler territory. So if you have not seen this movie, please go and find the movie. And this is a very easy movie to find, especially right now because this uh, film's director has just had a recent release. Um, M night Shyamalan, uh, had glass come out, which was a sequel to, uh, to unbreakable split. And, uh, now we're going to do, we're going to talk about his quote unquote, I, I, it's not technically his first movie, but it's the movie that broke him out yes. uh, and, and kind of made him an overnight success. And that is the sixth sense, um, starring Bruce Willis, um, Haley Joe Osmond and Tony Collette. Yeah. And yeah, young Tony Collette. Um, yeah, she was about 20. Yeah, uh, I mean, seven when this movie was was out. Yeah. And, uh, and what's and weird is, is fantastic in it. Yeah. And what's weird is, is, yeah, out of all the movies we've seen her in over years, this is the only one she's been nominated for. <laughs> she yeah. was nominated for supporting actress and she's never been nominated for anything else. Uh, yeah. A lot of people thought she would have been nominated for Hereditary this year, but that just. Well, didn't damn. Happen. She's been in uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Um, she, yeah. I mean, she's had a few movies like the way, way back. She's really good. Like there's a few movies she's really good in that. She's for some reason they don't nominate her. I don't know why. Um, I guess they're just giving them all out to Meryl Streep. So they don't have no <laughs> you know, room for anybody else. But yeah, she's been, she's a golden globe winner though, uh, because of the mm. TV series that she was then called United States of Tara from, uh, 2009, I believe. Yeah. She 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 she's had success there and then oh, yeah, know, Emmy yeah. awards and stuff like that, but yeah, it's this film is very much the breakout film for M Night Shyamalan, who is very well known now for both positive and negative reasons. <laughs> negative reasons more so being with um, the quality of his films have gone up and down throughout his career, which happens to a lot of directors, most of the directors that, that well, I, we, I think, we talk yeah. about and idolize and stuff like that. Not everybody has, you know, a complete clean sheet. Well, sure. I, th I think what it is, is that he, his, his downfall was so quick that it was like kind of shocking for people. And of course in, in the internet age, you know, yes. it gets, it's even more amplified, you know, back in the day when somebody made a bad movie, it, you know, you didn't really hear people talking about it because, people did I mean you didn't talk to everybody you know you just amongst friends would would talk about things but right. now in this age when somebody's hating on somebody they'll go online they'll spread it to that person they'll spread the hate and it just it got really bad after uh the village like right around the village is when it started to really get bad that's when you um, get a big dip in his filmography with it's because he has a very he he even though when he first started making movies it seemed like he was bringing you something new and different and original he was really borrowing from a lot of his, his favorite filmmakers. And then he would continue to use the same kind of storytelling method in every movie, which is to, to have some big twist or reveal, uh, in the, in the third act. Right. Um, and that's where he kind of him relying on that crutch kind of, I think turned people eventually turned people off. Oh yeah. Um, and then like, like we said, each movie is, you know, separate and different and sure, different yeah. qualities based on premise and script and yeah. all that stuff. But yeah, he has a very short filmography, uh, about uh, 16 credits or so, uh, two of which one is in pre-production. The other one has been announced. So really only 
14 directing credits in his career, one being also a TV series that he Which is more than well. somebody like James Cameron has, though. Very true. <laughs> and what is interesting is we say that he has had that kind of dip in quality in his career, but it didn't affect his ability to keep putting out movies or getting work. You know, sometimes some directors and some filmmakers make a really bad movie and well, you never hear from them again. Well, the you thing is, I mean? is, you know, fortunately for him, some of his bad movies still made money. Like The Last Airbender, even though it was a terrible movie, right? made money still. It made enough, I think, made enough money to warrant, you know, he, his name, even though it can be associated with bad I think there's still a somewhat loyal fan base of him. Oh, yeah. I think I of think course. there is a lot of people that really like him, and I think if anything, I think he's a, uh, I think he's a is a more interesting director than he is a writer. Um, okay, that makes that makes sense. And also, yeah, I think like, I think he's a good visual storyteller. Yeah, we're not just like you know, I want to make it clear that we're just kind of basing our analysis or our discussion on just a general sense of yeah, yeah. the way people view some of his movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Not everybody, me personally, I not like everybody most, thinks. I like. Know, I probably like more of his movies than most people do, right. honestly. Like, like not everybody thinks Lady in the Water is bad. Not everybody thinks. Sure. I mean, some people don't think the happening's terrible. You know what I mean? So it's all based on your perspective, but we're just going with a general consensus, you know, for discussion purposes. Just kind right. of a, an overview of his yeah, the, yeah. The close of his career. And and, and one you know, tidbit about him, you know, if you notice, all of his movies take place, place in Philadelphia. They he, do. He's from there. So that's why he 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 really kind of makes it a thing. Um, and, you know, he's he's an he's technically I, he, I mean, he's an American director, but his heritage is from India. So he's uh, apparently his parents wanted him to be a doctor, wanted him to be something like that. But then he was like, I'm going to go to film school. <laughs> And they yeah. were like, oh. <laughs> and what is interesting is you don't see many, um, you know, directors from India working in mainstream Hollywood oh, movies yeah. no, these no. days. So he's very much part of a different mold and part of uh, introducing some diversity into a very uh, white Hollywood standard that definitely, we've yeah. all and, come and, to you know. know. But, but his, his influence is definitely um, – I, I would say his strongest oh, influence yeah. is, is, is classic Hollywood like, – Hitchcock. Yeah, it's Alfred Hitchcock. Like yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah. I've I've watched so much Hitchcock and delved into so much Hitchcock that I can tell you that M Night Shyamalan takes a lot from it. <laughs> he wants to be Hitchcock. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean so much so that I I think I've mentioned it on here before, or maybe mentioned it on some other thing somewhere. Is that in the special features for Dial M for Murder, the Blu-ray of Dial M for Murder, Hitchcock's film? He's in it talking about the movie. Oh, so really? I didn't so know that. It's, yeah. it's obvious that you know takes an influence from that. Hitchcock was known for making psychological thrillers similar to M. Night Shyamalan, having yeah. third act twists similar to M. Night Shyamalan. I mean, like, granted, everyone takes from everyone when it comes to filmmaking and and movie making in general. Um, there's very few like new, brand new, spanking new filming techniques and and things that are really truly original nowadays you know everything's been done essentially it's yeah. all about kind of you taking it and making it your own and utilizing it in your own specific way and stuff like that and M. Night Shyamalan definitely does that The Sixth Sense is a very fascinating movie to rewatch and to kind of look at just for filmmaking and storytelling techniques and things like that. I hadn't seen the movie in quite some time. It'd been about 
I want to say 10 years or so. What? Since I've seen it, because I bought the wow. DVD, I bought the DVD back when I started collecting around 2008 or so. So I probably bought it around then, and that's when I probably watched it last. Wow, I I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid. Um, you know, this came out when I was about 10 years old, and after it came out, I mean, th- when this came out, it was a phenomenon. Yes, um, this movie was made for 40 million dollars, and it made like 672 million like worldwide. Uh, worldwide. Yeah. Um, that's is, a that's an enormous amount for that time. What is kind of crazy about that is that originally it was a Walt Disney studio oh, yeah. production. Yeah. And the guy, some executive who was working there, like bought the script from from M. Night Shyamalan and well, the, agreed for him to uh, direct it for like three million dollars. Yeah. And then Disney, he didn't check with anybody at Disney. <laughs> he just did it. And then the guy ended up like getting fired essentially and moving <laughs> on to something else. So Disney was like, we'll just sell this to well, somebody yes, else. Couple, They had a couple big producers on this movie. Kathleen Kennedy and yes. Frank Marshall were producers. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Um, but it was sold to, the production rights was sold to Spyglass Entertainment. Yeah. And But Disney still had distribution rights. Yeah. So that's why if you see the, the DVD or the Blu-ray, it's put out by Disney, you know, Buena Vista, their yeah. uh, like subsidiary. Or yeah, this whatever. was a time when Disney was kind of still in the game of putting out, you know, more adult content. Yeah, um, that was. I think that was around the time when they still had Miramax. In yeah, their probably still had Miramax. They, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, up until we got into about the mid two thousands, you know, late two thousands, you didn't. They were still making kind of a you know adult content. Now it's like completely gone like they yeah. don't do it anymore and it yeah. was through the disney buena vista yeah yeah uh bridge of their production department that that's where a lot of the they're they're more you know adult films by adult films we mean like r-rated just, just, and PG-13. yeah and, and no, you know not and, animated and, and watching this movie man I, and, and, and i'm if i'm not mistaken this movie is pg-13 the sixth sense um, and there's a lot of cra- – I feel like they got a lot away with a lot in this movie for what, PG-13. What is interesting is I feel like it, it actually um, – it's appropriate. Like I think PG-13 fits it. There's no there's no swearing. There's no nudity. Well, I'm just saying – There's only it, like one or two shots of gore in the film. I, th- I think there's quick. just a lot of suggestiveness. Oh, yeah. That I'm surprised yeah. that it, it, it didn't get a more – uh, get our R rating because it's got, you know, you, I mean, you see it basically, you see a guy kill himself. I mean, you don't, you don't see it, but you, no, it's suggested. That's the one that, yeah. that he blows his head off. If you don't show um, it, you can get away with it. And, no. and, you know, there's, you know, things of child abuse and there's oh, for sure. Of, yeah. The, the themes in this film are, I mean, this film is, has a lot to unpack with it. imagery is pretty rough. Like a, a woman cuts her wrists and you, you see it, you know, like well, you, you see, see her yeah, wrists. You, cuts. See the, you see like the, the, yeah, you see the cuts, you know, just stuff they're like not, that. They're like, not losing blood or anything or, well, anything I mean, like they that. are, there's a few scenes of blood. I mean, well, there's, yeah, there we'll get into it when we get, yeah. I mean, yeah, um, so let's, but, but let's dive into it then if we're going to, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and when, and I guess, but one more character we should actor, we should talk about Bruce right. Willis. Bruce Willis at this time. Oh my goodness. Was, was uh you know still pretty prominent i mean he he had done i think the third die hard movie a few years before um that was probably his i mean he was doing some more lower level stuff like he did like um what's the one he did with uh mercury rising i think he did right near in that time let's Um, see oh i mean fifth element was two years fifth element yeah 
um, Armageddon was a year before. Oh, that was the big one. That's the big <laughs> one right there. Uh, that's, that, that came out. Yeah, that was the big movie. Yeah. And then, like, a year later, he did the whole nine yards. And Oh, man. I'll the say comedy. this, though. Yeah. And then, of course, the next year, he would reteam with M. Night Shyamalan and do Unbreakable. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is interesting about this film, the biggest surprise for me, is you forget how talented and how great of an actor Bruce Willis is. When he wants to be. Yeah. And I'm watching and I'm like, this is a completely different actor than we see from Bruce Willis now. Yeah. Like, like he's like he's given looks and and just body language and all this kind of stuff that's that's meaningful and really artistic in yeah. acting expression and, and ability. And I'm like, where is this Bruce Willis now? Yeah, where have it's, you gone, it's, Bruce it's, Willis? It's, he's obviously kind of given up. He didn't care anymore. <laughs> like it's not even close to what to what he's doing now it's like yeah it's a very day. subtle nuanced performance in this movie um, yeah and it was just refreshing to see that after seeing so many you know recent bruce willis performances that aren't like it at all yeah but, but getting into it right away speaking of bruce willis as he starts off the film uh, and we start off of course in philadelphia and bruce willis plays a child psychologist no known as malcolm crow and he has just received some big prestigious award for his, you know, ability as a doctor for his profession and all that kind of stuff. And he and his wife are essentially celebrating at their home. And his wife is portrayed by a great character actress, Olivia Williams, who is really, really great. I've always really liked her. Um, she's in that Wes Anderson film, um, the one... It actually came out right around the same time. And I was going to say the one with... The uh, Royal Tenenbaums? The, or? No, before that, the one with... Bottle Rocket? Uh, after Bottle Rocket. Oh, uh, Rushmore? She's in Rushmore. She plays okay. the teacher who the, the young character has a crush gotcha. on. Yeah, I remember movie. her now. Yeah. I was going to say the Wes Anderson film with... with um bill murray but he's kind of an old <laughs> well, <one>, so <laughs> that wouldn't have been distinct then you could have been like oh the one with jason schwartzman he's been in a couple of them too uh, yes he has yeah the one with the, the damn it i can't think of the one no, yeah the one with luke wilson oh, oh man no, he's been... <laughs> uh so anywho so they're celebrating at their home and they they do they hear a noise or do well, they, they they're the celebrating they're you know and there's a particular moment in the scene yeah. that's kind of interesting that she you know it's kind of an important scene it kind of sets up their relationship a little bit you know that that they that he's very he was very consumed with this work that he's been doing and that even she she even says like you know you even put me second you know the job came first that kind of sets up the rest of the movie because yeah, that sets it, up a heavy theme for the bruce willis character it plants the idea that that their relationship was strained has been strained but they're having a good time now and things have settled down a little bit in this moment and they're going upstairs and they're about to, you know, of course, have fun, have sex, whatever they're going to do. Yeah, and then on. they notice that the window has been broken yes. and then you get a, a, you know, a shadow walks by and then you look into the bathroom and you see Donnie Wahlberg naked. Yes. Almost, very, uh, just very, in his underwear. Yeah. Very skinny, uh, malnourished Donnie Wahlberg in yeah. a bit of distress um, what we learn in that scene is that he is a former patient of Bruce Willis's character of Malcolm, um, and he is a failed patient. You know, he he is someone who Bruce Willis's character did not help. For all of the, it's a kind of it's a kind of very interesting contrasting view of 
the Bruce Willis character because he we just saw that he got this prestigious award yeah. for his work in child psychology, and here is literally one of his failed cases. And what happens is he uh, done the Donnie Wahlberg character whose character whose name is Gray Vincent Gray, yeah. I believe is his name. That's it. And he he shoots Bruce Willis. He shoots Malcolm, and he falls down on the bed and we get a bird's eye view. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan loves, loves his bird's eye view angles, especially in this mm. movie and throughout his career. But we see a bird's eye view angle and his wife rushes over to him and then it fades. It fades away. Yeah. And I mean, and, a, then, and then it, as after he shoots him, then he shoots. Himself. Yeah. He shoots himself. And, yeah, and then, we don't and then, see it, but we hear yeah. the gunshot. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, put the gun up to his head and then, and then it pans. kind of, it pans to the left and you don't see it happen, but you know that, you know what happened obviously. Right. And then there's and, a dissolve to yeah, till, the next till, fall, the next whatever, fall as it says. And which I'm guessing is a year later or I, I would assume I'm yeah. assuming it was a year later. Yeah. And we see this young boy leaving his home. And of course it's the Haley Joe Osment character. And his name is Cole Sear. Very interesting name. Um, and and he's running down the street, but he's being observed by Bruce Willis. Um, and and we see that the boy's in kind of a bit of like distress, if you will. He's looks like he's scared and he's running from something. Yeah. At least and, that's our perception. Yeah. And and, and and we're kind of going into this. I mean, we already know the twists and turns, but it's interesting if you view this film from both as a first-time viewer and as someone who knows the twists. They're very, it's a very interesting perspective where we where we can see like where the mystery is. You know what I mean? We don't yeah. there, one thing that's great about this movie, right from this opening scene, is that M. Night kind of holds all the cards away from us. He doesn't tell us a lot. He lets the film kind of, you know, uh, you know, reveal itself naturally along the way. Yeah, there's no, yeah. you know, of course there's kind of an expo expositional scene later on, but it's never too revealing. Yeah. I mean, he's, like I said at the beginning, he's, I think he's a very good visual storyteller. He doesn't, he, he's not spoon feeding the audience. He's making you go along with, with the story. He's not, um, he's, I think he does give a lot of respect to the audience. I, I, that's what I admire about a lot of his, his, uh, storytelling ability is that he, he doesn't look at us as dumb. He gives us a chance to have to figure it out ourselves. And, um, what you notice as Bruce Willis is observing him, he's also looking at his notebook and you yes. get this idea right off the bat that the things that the, you know, patient that he didn't help at the beginning that shot him this kid has the very same symptoms of that kid of that guy who he couldn't help. So he's, you know, now looking at this kid as a way to maybe redeem himself. Well, he literally does come right out and say that in later in, in the, the film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And later in the film, in a few scenes later, but he follows, um, Cole to a church. And in the church, you see Cole, you know, hiding in a pew, uh, essentially playing with these figurines that he has and they have a conversation and it's kind of the, it's their first meeting, their first conversation. And Bruce Willis kind of a, a, is telling him about, you know, back in the olden days, you know, back in the middle ages, people would hide out in churches uh, for protection, for safety reasons. Yeah. They would uh, seek sanctuary there. And in a way, you know, as we learn throughout the movies that this kid is literally trying is running away from dangers 
you know, trying to find sanctuary yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And like we said, you, you know, on a second watch, a third watch, you start to know, everything seems so obvious, you yes. know, when you watch it again, after you know what the, the end of the movie is and everything seems very obvious, but it doesn't make it any less interesting to, to, to see how, how many clues, how many clues there are. And then all the payoff that happens at the end is, is good. I mean, it's not a, I don't, I think people a lot of times, think of it as a bad thing but i think it's great storytelling that he set up all this stuff and there's smaller things that he sets up too that we'll talk about later that he pays off later um right but yeah i mean in this scene you know you know just by adding that religious element it, it shows that he's very desperate you know he's going to religion he's going to a higher power to try to find a way to be saved from whatever it is he's running from whatever it is. We don't know what it is yet, but he's hiding out in a church. He's talking Latin for some reason. Some kid knows yeah, Latin. Very you know? <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. He's speaking, he's, he's speaking. Latin. And, 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 you know, Bruce Willis and and I think a scene or two later finds out what it means that he was saying. And, it, and apparently it meant like uh, something like, Oh Lord, I cry to you from the depths or something like that. Oh yeah. 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 It's like the next scene actually. Cause yeah. He's like, in they, his, he, he goes home and, and goes to his basement and is doing some research and he finds out what the kid says and what it means and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And what is interesting is their last word, like the last thing Haley Joe Osment's character says to him is the next time I see you, I won't be scared. And yeah. which is, yeah, talk about setup and payoff, you know, literally yeah. that that first scene will get paid off later on yeah. um, when we find out the identity of the Bruce Willis character. Um, so he does go home and, you know, like, he's, like Stephen said, he's doing research in his bed. Then he goes up and he sees his wife who's lying in bed. And and it's it's very interesting kind of, you know, watching it, you're not, you're unaware of Bruce Willis's character, but yet again, rewatching re it, everything falls into line. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, the, just the, the way, you know, he interacts with her or lack thereof. It's very, very interesting. It's very, it's, it's very obviously disconnective, you know, whatever, as a first time viewer, you look at it as maybe the thing that happened to him where he got shot somehow drove an even further, drove a further wedge between him and his wife and they're having more issues. Maybe that the reason he's been that experience where he, he failed a patient has made him obsessed with finding a way to redeem himself, which has drove a wedge between him and his wife. And that's what you kind of maybe fill up in your head. And that's what the director wants you to think has happened, but really right. it's, it's not that, you know, it's something else that, you know, of course we'll get into later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yeah, we will. But but it, I think it's all. It, I think they did a great job of finding a way to work around all them things, like to so that when you go back and watch it, you don't be like, "Well, what if? How does that make sense? like they they made it make sense?" Like it, I don't really think there's a hole there, me personally, but because um, I've seen it many times, and I think that right. it all logically can make sense within the world that they created. Right, um, all the puzzle pieces do fit together quite nicely in the film. But the, the next scene after that is we get to see um, uh, Cole's home life for the first time. We get to see his mother, portrayed by Tony Collette, which we've mentioned. Uh, the next scene is uh, him getting ready for school, basically. Uh, she, and, and, yeah. We see that uh, he comes from a single, a single family home. His mother is 
you know, works to, we learn that she went, she works two jobs and she's under a lot of stress. You would think you, you would, you get that. Image, well, yeah. You get the vibe that she's, she's very much, you know, always kind of working herself to death and, and, and having, you know, it's always kind of stressed. And in this scene, you know, you get your first kind of glimpse of something happening that you don't, we don't really know what's happening yet. Right. Um, yeah. Where, you know, you kind of get this first person point of view where she's, you know, you know, cleaning up stuff, trying to help him get ready for school. She leaves the room to go to the, get the laundry. And then when she comes back, all the drawers are open. Um, yeah. He's sitting at the kitchen table eating his soggy cocoa puffs. And yeah. She comes back and all the cabinets are open. All the drawers are open. Things are And just she, great. of course, assumes it's him you she, know. yeah she's doing so she asks and you know like were you, you know, looking for something what were you looking for something he goes pop tarts <laughs> like, oh the, and she goes they're right here and he goes oh you know what i mean it's, and you know and and the thing that keeps getting it happens a few times in the movie where you know he'll ask her you know are you thinking something about me are you are, do you, are, yeah, do you hate me do you, do you yeah and, you and, and that's I'm a freak you and, know and, and that really is kind of the the theme of the the movie the movie to me and what I gather from from listening to some of the special features is that the movie's about communication. It's about how we communicate with our family, how we communicate with uh, our loved ones, and you know, you know, in this case, you know, the mother and the son are not telling. You know, he's not telling his mother what's bothering him, and it's causing even more stress because he doesn't want to cause her stress about yeah. what his problem is. Uh, you know, he keeps it in. To protect her yeah even you see that that, that yeah. happens recurrently throughout the movie where he's very self-aware of of his situation almost yeah. too self-aware um to the point where he understands the impact it has on others around him yeah uh where he tries to kind of you know hold everything in because he knows that if he says certain things yeah, it'll it'll be weird, or people will uh, react to it in different in you know negative ways, which we see in this movie a yeah. lot. It's really really interesting how he kind of goes back and forth in that regard. And the way M Night Shyamalan talks about it is, is he doesn't want Cole to come off as somebody that's necessarily like afraid all the time. I mean, he is, but like, it's more that he's fighting. He's, he, he's, he's, he's trying to survive more than he is just crying and being afraid like a little kid. You know, he's trying to find a way to, to, to figure out how to, to deal with this problem. Um, and when Bruce Willis's character comes along, uh, he's kind of finally maybe found a way to so he at least has eventually find somebody he can at least tell his secret to. Um, which I think unlocks uh, him on his way to, you know, of course, dealing with his problem. Right. Um, but yeah, so, in, th in this situation, this particular scene, yeah, I mean, it's sets up very much the relationship between the mother and son that, you know, there's this perpetual sense of stress that happens where she's dealing with trying to take care of the family on her own and, you know, she's got this son that's kind of troubled and she doesn't know what to do about it because she doesn't know what's wrong with him and uh, and is just trying her best to survive. And uh, yeah, I mean, even to the point where she sets her kid up with some punk kid that's, in a, you know, a little asshole and, um, <laughs> in, in, you know, that's some rich kid asshole that 
is really just a bully. Um, yeah, the kid is like a little like he was in like a he's, commercial. He's in commercials <laughs> and shit. You know, he's like talks uh, about how he's an actor. He's like, that's called improv. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I'm like, what? Shut up, kid. <laughs> Shut up. He's um, a good asshole, though. I like that. He's yeah. good. Yeah. So the next scene I think I want to talk about is the one where Cole returns home from school. And we get our second interaction with him and Malcolm. And he returns home and Malcolm and his mother are sitting there. Yeah, they're sitting across from each other. And you kind of assume that they maybe just gotten done with a conversation. Right. And that that this was like an an appointment because the first time uh, Malcolm's supposed to meet with him, he says he misses his meet. He he was supposed to meet with him already, but he missed it. But we're like, wait, you were sitting there waiting for him to leave. So you didn't miss it. You just were wanted to see him in his environment. Um, So, but now he's apparently meeting for the first time in person uh, with the mother's permission. We assume because, you know, they're sitting across from each other. Yeah. She's there. Yeah. (laughs) And she even as, as she, after she interacts with her son and has this little sweet scene where they talk about their fantasies for the day, even though they both had bad days, they both talked about their fantasy, which is, she said she won the lottery and went and ate this pie in the park and stuff. And he says that he had this fantasy where he, he, you know, won the big game playing kickball and they mm-hmm. picked him up and tossed him in the air and, you know, everybody loved him. And that's a nice sweet scene. And then when she, as she leaves, it kind of looks like she, she says like, you know, breakfast will be ready in an hour. And that's supposed to indicate maybe she's saying, Hey, you have an hour to talk with my kid. But re- and she kind of gives this look towards Bruce Willis, but not really. So right. it's like kind of subtle, and it's, it's very good, very very what's, subtle things like what's that. What's brilliant about that, you know, the small things in retrospect of this scene, and specifically, is what we're saying is like is the assumption that M Night Shyamalan made is the things that we're pointing out. Like we assume that that they were talking with one another, that this is a scheduled well, appointment. I guess we should, you know what I, I mean? I, I guess like, if we, what we should do, honestly, yeah. is we should just say, Hey, look, if you, if you know, we, the ending of this movie right. makes this more of an interesting discussion. We find at the end of this movie that Bruce Willis has been dead the whole time. He's a ghost. Right. But, so, but what is interesting boom. is if you, if you think <laughs> yeah. about it, when us not knowing that, yeah, it's literally M night Shyamalan knowing that we don't know that. Therefore he's, he has to play the game of, setting things up to make it to to make it look as convincing as real as possible. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be plausible that that like he has to make he has to assume that when someone views the situation like this that this, these are the things they're going to think is yeah. that one you know they just finished talking to one another this is a scheduled appointment the mother he like like set up this appointment you know yeah, what he, i mean like all create, of those things he had to create enough moments to make us not assume that that could be a possibility. Yeah, he had to create this false narrative. Basically, he didn't. Ha- he could. He didn't. Ha- he couldn't have literal conversations between the characters, but he needed to make us fill in the blanks, assuming that assuming was the they did. Yeah, yeah. Which is and kind I, and of I think which I think a great job of that. Yeah, yeah, I think it's brilliant. there's a there's a scene a little bit later that is even better than this scene. I think in doing it and doing it, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, so they have, well, yeah. So getting back to the scene, they have an interaction with one another where uh, Bruce Willis says, you know. You know, I want to, you know, read your mind, and if I if I'm able to guess something right, you take one step closer to sit in this chair. If I say something wrong, you take one step closer to the to the door, and you know, the end result will be you'll sit and talk with me, or you'll go you away. And this go meeting away will be over. Yeah, yeah. And 
And it's very interesting, this back and forth with one another, because, you know, this is before the revelation of, you know, that the kid sees dead people and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's kind of just Malcolm making certain assumptions based on his, you know, profession and education and he gets some things right and he gets some things wrong. Um, and it's very, very interesting. Um, we I, learned, th I think once he starts, we, yeah. once he starts assuming, uh, when it's like he, the first few things he knows, noticed about him are things that uh, are all about his emotions. Uh, and like, then when it starts talking about his father, then it's like, it switches. Like, it's like, there's like a, he starts assuming things about his relationship with his father or things that happened with his father. And it like totally changes. Like, and then he says something about like how he is and it's how, like how he acts with other people when he starts assuming how he acts with other people or how he acted towards his father. And that's when it switched, like where he's like, no, I'm it's not, it's, you know, I found that watching a drawer. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not good with other people. I'm, I'm a freak, you know, yeah, I, I, I drew I a picture of a, yeah. of somebody getting stabbed in the, neck with a screwdriver <laughs> you know like and, he, and it, malcolm's like is this something you saw on tv or what uh, you know, yeah. something like that and then and he goes and then cole says yeah you know everybody got upset uh they had a meeting his mom started crying i so i don't draw like that anymore i draw and, rainbows and, and, and it's like because nobody <laughs> yeah i draw people with smiles dogs running rainbows uh they don't they don't have meetings about rainbows and it's very interesting. Yeah. When it, when, when the questions were directed directly at him about his like issues, like when he's like, you have a secret and you don't, you want to tell me, but you, you, you know, you, but you that, like, it's when he was get hinting at what his secret was like that he had a secret, that's when he was stepping forward. But then when he right. started going outside the box and talking about other people around him, he was like, eh, no. <laughs> what is, what is interesting I find about that dialogue is like, it goes into the way in which adults view children, the way in which adults treat children, um, you know, the way they react to their actions of children yeah. and the effects it has on those children. Because we see here that there is something clearly wrong. Like there's something wrong with, you know, this kid shouldn't be drawing people being stabbed in the neck with screwdrivers. Yeah. But the way in which the adults reacted to it was to be upset about it to his mother started crying about it, having a meet special meeting about it, all this kind of stuff. And the way it affected his character is like, okay, I'm just gonna pretend like I don't like I don't have these these images in my head. Like I don't see these things. I'm just gonna draw smiling people, dogs running, sunshine. As and we rainbows. said, as we said earlier, you, you know said I mean? earlier, he's it's he's self aware. He's yeah, he's self aware and he's burying all of his problems. Yeah. And I think M Night Shyamalan, you know, I don't want to you know, assume what he's saying, but I'm just going to take a guess here is that he's kind of saying people bury their problems in general, you know, well, people, people, people that, that end up having very deep emotional problems later in life. It's because they don't bury, get the help they need when they, yeah, when they need they it. They bury you know? those problems or else they, or they try to get the help and the way in which people react to it scares them so much that they yeah. end up retreating even further into themselves, yeah. make, making the problem that much worse. Yeah. So yeah, he ends up leaving the room at the end of the scene. Yes. And um from there, don't we get a doesn't he try to make it to a dinner, right? Isn't that the next scene with his wife? He's late for a dinner with his wife. Is that the yes. next scene? Well, I think he also he makes certain 
Yeah, he, yes, he does. Yeah, so and this was the other scene I was talking about where he, he shows up at the restaurant. He's apparently late to this dinner, and his wife's just not talking to him across from him, and he assumes she's just mad. Um, and then at the end, she says happy anniversary and leaves. So he, she, she, it's like she spoke to him and she's mad at him, but really she's having this like sad dinner alone saying happy anniversary to her lost husband. And it, and it works so well because her being silent and her, you know, him thinking she's angry, you know, wanting the, the audience to think that she's angry at him works so well together. She's actually grieving but she's actually, and we're supposed to think she's angry, you know, and I think that that's uh, an interesting parallel of emotions with what our main character or, or what Cole's having to deal with when it comes to dealing with dead people. Yes. You know, he's, he thinks that these ghosts are angry with him when actually they're grieving and they need somebody to help them. Um, you know, it, it's got, it's, there's some interesting parallels there. Um, very much are. And yeah. it's a very interesting scene in general just because of the dialogue that's there. Um, you know, he comes in, he says, like, I thought you met the other Italian restaurant. I asked you to marry yeah, yeah. that in. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? He says something like that. So you you get the feeling that, you know, this is like they were supposed to meet for dinner, you know, yeah, creating yeah, yeah. that false narrative again. But what is interesting is he goes into other dialogue talking about um interesting things and what she uh, and what he does really well as a director too is a way to also you know keep don't let our minds wander into dissecting what's actually going on too much is that he doesn't he keeps the camera away from people's faces that are interacting with him he doesn't let you see their their faces to like necessarily when they're having when he's talking with them like it'll pan around behind the wife right you know and you don't really that you can't see that she's actually looking at him and she's not she's looking down she's you know she's not really communicating with him because she she doesn't see him he's not there um, and what is interesting what he talks about is he talks about the case the you know cole he says you know it was this is our kind of first time maybe not our first time but where he's referring to the other uh, to the to the to the incident at the beginning of the movie, yeah. right? Where he says, you know, the mannerisms are similar. They seem to have something hanging over them. They have cuts on, you know, they have you know cuts on them. Maybe it's physical abuse by teacher, neighbors, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then that's when we, when the when I think the waiter comes over and gives her gives her the check, and then she says happy anniversary, and then she leaves, and we assume that. You know, she's, she's just disgusted. She's upset with him talking about work and not, you know, other things. Not even saying, "Hey, happy anniversary." Yeah, not man. even, not even knowing, obviously, because you know, I mean, she, once again, it's it's that that, like I said, the beginning thing where she talked about how you know she was kind of put second by the work, uh, kind of comes back here and supports this particular scene, um, and of course, with what ha you know what happened in that moment where he's late for the dinner, it all kind of supports it. And that's, I think that shows how good the writing is in, in this, because this movie did get nominated for best original screenplay also. Yeah. It, I got, got, it got, got six, nomina six nominations. So um, th th it, it is a tight script, I think. So yeah, it's yeah. a very tight script. The movie is very tight in general. It, hour think, 43 minutes, I think. Yeah. Clocks in around that. Yeah. So it, it moves very, very quickly. So there's no, there's no fat. It's not really on a wasted scene. Thing. There's not a wasted, there's no wasted scene. scene. Every scene, develops the mystery further every scene pushes the plot further and it's it's very very interesting so where we go from here we go 
I'm not really. <laughs> yeah, the talk talk about trying to keep track of this movie. Um, there is a next scene with uh, Cole and Malcolm talking on, I believe, like the front. Are they stoop. on their way? Are they on the way to school? He's like walking them to school. I think. Is that what the scene is? I think it is. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, he says that he's a freak and then he gets like upset at him and says, don't let anybody tell you that it's bullshit. <laughs> and then he, and then there's a nice little thing where he's a little comic, comical moment where he's like, you said the S word. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, he does. <laughs> the yeah. It's very, um, I'm looking at the script now. That's why I'm delayed. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think right after that, um, do, do we get the scene where he's in class? And the stuttering Stanley scene, is that what we get next? We should, yeah, we should talk about that scene. That's yeah. very, very interesting. Uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's clearly an elementary school level, um, you know, history class or whatever. Yeah. And so, the, so the teacher's just, you know, playing along with him and whatnot. And he's like, um, what was the capital, of United, the capital of the United States from 1790 to 1800? And he's like, I'll give you a hint. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you live here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And all the kids like Philadelphia. And then, then he asked, you know, what, what, um, what was this building? At, at, what, what did this building used to be, basically? And the kid goes, and then, of course, yeah, Haley uh, Cole goes. Oh, they used to kill people here, which is not something you typically hear from an, a nine-year-old boy. Um, and and the kid is just like, oh, where did you where did you hear that? And then and then he goes he goes into this you know very serious you know creepy monologue from you know other people's perspectives. And it's like, yeah, they used to bring people here and they used to hang them. Yeah. Uh, and he just like that's that's you know. I don't think so. I don't think that's true or whatever. <laughs> and then, of course, Cole, is he's going down this, you know, disturbing thought train. And yeah. he says, you know, when you were younger, you used to stutter. And people would make fun of you. They would call you Stuttering Stanley. And yeah. he's like, and then and then he's like, where'd you hear that from? And then, and then he just, and the kid just keeps yelling, Stuttering Stanley, to the point where the teacher starts stuttering again. And then the teacher, you know yells at him you know and calls him a freak calls him a freak which is <laughs> not really what you're supposed to do as a teacher you're supposed to no. i guess remain as calm as possible and, and yeah after that, after that, that he gets he gets sent to the principal i guess he yes. gets he gets sent out of the classroom and then bruce willis comes to him um at the, at the school and um sits down with him and this is a scene where he shows him a magic trick, which is funny because yeah, the then the kid uses it later um, where he puts the penny in one hand and says, hey, I shake my hand and now it's in this pocket, even though he doesn't show it to him in his pocket. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to shake again. And here it is back in the hand. I'm like, what kind of trick is that? Because even the kid's like, that's stupid. He's like, that's I didn't know you were a comedian. You know, that's funny because that wasn't a trick, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, you know just you know kind of has a moment with him there and tries to bring him down after all that craziness that happened and and um yeah i mean it's yeah he he tries to interact with him on a a kid level yeah, you know, yeah. by showing him magic and of course Cole is not amazed by it. He's like, that's thing is, is, as we said that's before, he, you never he's, took obviously, the he's a lot more mature than most kids. Yeah, he's uh, a lot more intelligent. You can't, he's trying, like you say, he's trying to get on his level, but he really, this kid doesn't need somebody, doesn't need another friend, doesn't need a friend like that. Like he needs somebody to help him with this really uh, uh, abnormal problem that 
no, he can't tell anybody, you know, it's like, dude, stop trying to show me magic tricks. I need you to help me with these dead people, but I can't tell you, I'm not going to tell you yet because I don't really trust you yet. You know? Um, right. Yeah. I'm looking. It's, um, and then it, I think, yeah, that, does, doesn't the birthday scene happen right after that? Well, it's, it's somewhere It's somewhere. I don't know if it's right after, but I know we get, I, I think, do, do, do we get the scene? Well, we get like a scene where he Bruce Willis is back and he's working in his basement, and then he hears somebody come to the door, and his wife comes to the door. You know, he's like, "Are you going to get that?" You know, and finally the wife empties his door, and there's some guy that he had he doesn't know, I guess, that works with his wife that is trying to get obviously get his wife to go out with him. Yeah, and, you know, she turns him down, and he's like, "Yeah, you, you know, get the hell out of here, cheese dick." I think is what he calls him. <laughs> <laughs> which that's is very, that's a very Bruce Willis moment. That's cheese an dick. insult I've I have not heard before. <laughs> I mean, it's a '90s. It's a definitely a '90s. Oh, it's uh, such a '90s insult. Thing. Um, so yeah, you get this kind of you know little you know nudge that you know it's another subtle hint that you know Bruce Willis isn't really there, and that there's men going after his wife. Um, uh, but then I think right after that, yeah, I think we, we get the birthday party, which is the birthday for one of these snobby rich kids. Um, and it starts off where Cole is showing this magic trick that he just learned. And the kid of course, isn't amused by it. And he oh, just no, wants his penny back. He wants his penny back. <laughs> and, uh, you can, and the thing is, is also like, you know, you see Cole, he's sitting at the bottom of the steps of this spiral staircase and you get a glimpse, you you see him watching his mom, like he's watching out for her, kind of. Um, and you overhear their her conversation with the other moms, and you could tell how out of her element she is, you know, where she's very much awkward around these people. You know, she she probably feels out of place just like he feels out of place. Um, but she's trying to do this for him. She thinks that this is gonna help him in some way when it's it's not really helping. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, not at you know, all. She yeah, isn't aware that how how you know. Well, she asked. Yeah, these kids well, she's are. mentioning like, oh yeah, last year we weren't to a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. These and, people didn't even know what Chuck E. Cheese. And was. the woman didn't know what Chuck E. Cheese was, and I'm like, <laughs> apparently you don't have a normal child. You know what I mean? Because I know when I was a little kid, Chuck E. Cheese was a a mainstay for many a kid's birthday. Yeah. Um, not only my own, but just other other kids. Yeah. And it's very interesting, like you said, how out of the element she is. But this is, of course, where we get a scene where this is kind know, of our first prominent scene where he we 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 actually hear his interaction, his yes. what he hears from his point of view of of a paranormal thing, um, which is one it was one of the scariest scenes for me when I was a kid. Was really? this particular for me? Yeah, I mean, he goes, he sees this balloon, and it floats up to the top of the stairs, and. The music, of course, we didn't say this. The music is done by done by James Newton Howard, who mm. works with M Night Shyamalan pretty regularly up until I think recent movies. I don't think he's done his last couple movies, but um, yeah, I mean, the music in this movie is terrifying at moments. It's very, it's got these little cues like like what a Hitchcock movie would usually have. Um, and you know, he goes up the stairs and to, to obviously go after the balloon. And when he gets to the top of the stairs, there's this like cupboard. And yeah, he hears he hears voice. He, he hears voice. this voice that's crying out, like in in another in in was it in another, was it in another language? I think he was no, he was speaking English. He was speaking English, yeah. And he was saying how he's like, "Let me out of here! Get me out of here! I'm gonna I'm gonna kill somebody!" You know, like he's like just obviously angry, and he wants to whatever it is is wants to get out. And of course, he's just kind of frozen. 
And then uh, the the two dipshit kids see him and, you know, of course, go to pick on him and toss him inside. <laughs> yeah, the kids are terrible. It just shows yeah. you how, you know, cruel kids can be. Oh, definitely, yeah. They, you know, and they lock him in and the kid is screaming for yeah, someone I mean, to let him out. Like, so I, loud that th the parents can hear it down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and finally, the mother, you know, realizes and goes up and tries to get him out, can't get him out. And then suddenly the door unlocks on its own. And, then, and, what, and what bothered me about that scene so much is like the kids are just standing there in yeah, shock. Yeah, like doing nothing. The parents are just like staring there in shock. And I'm like, somebody get this woman the key for, for this door. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, the door opens and he falls out and he's unconscious and yeah, he's passed out, the, passed out. And, and it, so it goes slow-mo on us. And yeah, it goes slow-mo on us for a second. And then we, then we cut to the hospital where the doctor played by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yes. That, once again, yeah, another, another Hitchcock thing. He likes to cameo in his own movies, but they're a lot more elaborate. And M. Night likes to actually play. Yeah, he, he likes to have has dialogue parts. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he plays this doctor who's informing um, the mother about, you know, his he's fine, telling him, telling her he, he's fine, but that he has these scratches and bruises that are on they're, they're not really sure where they come from. So now they think maybe the mother's abusing and they want the social worker to talk to her. And Bruce Willis is there also. And he's just kind of reacting and is like, that's bullshit. No, I mean, I can tell that that's, that's a loving mother, you know, but right. of course, once again, Bruce Willis never interacts with anybody else no, in the room. Nobody really <laughs> acknowledges he, that he's there. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, if he was a therapist and he was there and that doctor said something like that, you would think the therapist would be like, look, no, I've been around them. They're great. <laughs> yeah. Like I've been studying them. There's no, I've been kid, studying, there's no there's, evidence that would dictate that the mother would do these things. There's, there's one little hole you could maybe say right there, but. You know. Yeah, I have another like little hole about that. It's like sure, sure. Bruce Willis's character just kind of shows up at the right time in the right. Oh, place. he's all. I mean, and that's the and thing I'm about like, they, yeah. he can't he can't talk on the phone. Like nobody's calling him saying, "Hey, yeah. this kid's in the hospital. Your patient's in the hospital. You may want to come see well, me." Like, like attack, we said you before, know? you fill in the blanks. Yeah, you assume yeah. that that there was a call made that, and then he was brought there, and it's right, right. But once you get the reveal later on, then you go back and rewatch. You're like, how is he? How is he at the school? Well, there's how also is he over here. You know, yeah, at the hospital. And, yeah. How does he know to be everywhere at the right time? Sometimes, right. sometimes it's, it's weird. But you know, you can you can fill in the blanks. I think, and and also, you know, when you learn that he has been dead this whole time, you kind of get that. You know, the kid says that they don't know they're dead, right. and that you know, when you're dead, you, I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming. The way we see his character show up is kind of how he lives his life. He just kind of time does not exist the same way. So he kind right. of shows up at the right times whenever he's needed or when he, whatever he needs something from Cole, yeah. which is to, to learn more about his problem. You know, yeah. and um, this is I mean, this is the big scene in the movie. This yeah. is the scene that has been referenced and parodied and satirized yeah. or quoted many, many times by many, many people, us including. Yes. And it's the scene where uh, Cole reveals to Malcolm that he can see dead people. And, and, and Bruce Willis does such a good job in this scene acting with his eyes because he like has this kind of like stare out in space look where he's like, super baffled about yeah. what he's hearing and he can't he he, he can't re 
his he just can't wrap his mind around. He's like, oh man, I, can't, I don't think I can help this kid. This kid's got something that I can't do for him, which he says in this next scene right after where he's writing, you know, speaking down, speaking his thoughts into a, into his tape recorder and saying that he's probably going to need medication. He's probably going to need to go to a clinic or asylum, whatever to, 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 you know, to maybe get help. And I can't help him, you know? Um, yeah. He, he does. He has a skeptic. He's skeptic about it. But know, it's, he, and the thing is, is I think really quickly he figures out through he, that he can't do that because that's what he did with the other guy. He sent him to a clinic. He sent him away. Right. He did. He gave up on him in a in a sense. But what he does do after that is he's listening to an old recording on a yes. tape recorder, where he was interviewing the the you know Vincent original yeah. Vincent Gray when he was younger. Yeah. And he at one point he leaves the room for some reason, but the tape recorder is still going, and so he pumps up the volume like all the way, and he can hear that the kid starts crying. The Vincent yeah. Gray kid, when he's a child, starts crying, and you can hear a voice in the background. This is some creepy stuff. Yeah, that's creepy. You hear yeah. the voice in Spanish. Yeah, uh, and and it's just you know like a frightening like moment in the moment. yeah like you know it's kind of like that white noise kind of yeah. thing where you can hear things that, that that technology can hear things that humans cannot sometimes you know, here with the, the, the ear, you know? So, um, ba so basically we come both us as an audience and Bruce Willis, Malcolm comes to this revelation or that both Vincent Gray and this young boy, I guess, had the same ability yeah. where people were appearing to him. Um, it's, it's very, very interesting how those two characters are connected. There's never really an explanation how this kid got this abilities, um, how the Vincent Gray character got these abilities, but that's kind of not really important. It's, no, it's I mean, more I mean, about, you know, what is happening with them versus the how thematics. The thematics are what matters more in this movie. I, I, like I said, the communication theme where the, you know, and then for him, he can communicate with the dead and, and help dead people, you know, quote unquote, move on. Um, and, and, get their unfinished business finished um, right. is kind of what his, his, his purpose is. Um, and that's something that Shyamalan does also in unbreakable about, it's about purpose, you know, fig figuring out purpose, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think that that's part of what Cole needs from, uh, from Malcolm is to help him figure out what to do with this. It's not something that he can, he can probably get rid of, but it's something he can maybe, deal with and that's what malcolm right. ha helps him with um and yeah i mean he goes back to him and and kind of starts to ask you know, now that he kind of now that he can he knows what the issue is and that he he has yeah. evidence of it he believes he can, him he can believe him and now he can try to help him understand maybe why these 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 dead people are coming to him and, and brings up the idea that are you sure that these that they're there to hurt you you know, or they maybe yeah. they need your help. He basically asks them, you know, to listen to what they're saying instead of running away. Running listen, away. yeah, yeah. Even the scary ones. He's like, even the scary ones might need your help, right? Um, and this is when we get to another sequence in the film where he he does so. He lives in he. There's this t kind of makeshift tent that he set up in his home that uh, with it's red kind sheets. of a. It's kind of his in-home church. 
Um, you know, he goes to, yeah. you know, when he can go to church during the day, he goes to the church, but at night when he's at home, he goes in this tent when he's really scared. And there's all, these all these kind of religious figures in it, these statues yeah. and these little statues. And he's in there and he, of course, has one of his visions. Um, and it's of, you know, the little girl throwing up. Uh, and well, I of think before gets, that, I think before, before that we got we got one that was a little bit later, but we is did, that later? I, yeah, okay. because there's one scene Back where he yeah, there's one scene where um, you know, we had this is a very important scene that comes back later, where they're having dinner and it's really cold in the house, and yes, the, and you know, obviously the mother's upset, and it's because she thinks that he stole this this bumblebee pendant pendant that was oh, her mother's. Yes. And she's upset at him for maybe apparently taking it and moving it and 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 trying to keep it for himself. And it's not him. It's some. It's it's a dead person, <laughs> you know. And it's we don't the know grandmother. It's the <laughs> grandmother, but we don't know it's the grandmother right, yet. Right. Um. And and she's like, look, I didn't do it. And she doesn't, of course, understand who else it could be because he's the only one else that lives there. And so, you know, because she's angry, you know, it's really cold in the house. Like we understand that when the ghosts are angry and when there's like I think when they're when p the actual people in the house are upset, it creates a a cold. It's something you've seen in a lot of horror movies right. where it gets colder when the when the supernatural beings are angry or when you feed the anger with your own anger. Um, and so she gets really angry at him, tells him to leave the dinner when he doesn't admit that he moved it when he didn't. And then you know the dog gets upset because the because the dog saw this kid that blew out his head apparently by accident you know the kid goes back to his room and then walk runs into this kid he's like hey i'll show you where my dad's gun is and he turns yes. around and his back of his head's blown out and you know that's a shocking little scene there that's, and then that's that's probably one of the glorious scenes it's one the of the movie. most graphic images i think yeah for um, a film that doesn't have that much graphic imagery that's one of the most graphic images yeah. in the movie uh, certainly the bloodiest. Yeah, uh, and then and then the mother's like trying to get the dog. The dog's scared out of this area, like I yes. guess like a cleanup room area. And then the, then Cole comes to her and says, "If you're not too angry, let me. Can I stay with you in your room tonight?" And you know, she's like, "I'm not. I don't hate you." You know, and you know they hug and embrace, and it's it's a nice little tender scene there. And then um, after th after that, there. I know I'm probably missing something, or we might be out of order somewhat, but there is probably. another very frightening scene where he goes to the bathroom. And, and you know, I think I've even done this when I was a kid where I was, like, scared to go to the bathroom in the middle I'm of the night. Pretty, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. Was it the scene? Is it when, after he comes home from the hospital? It, it might mom, be, yeah. His mom carries him in, puts him in yeah, bed. Yeah, puts him to bed. And that's and when she, she sees, like, he has scratches on his back yeah. and stuff and like that. He wakes sure up, that's like, when really he gets, early. Yeah, he wakes up to go to the bathroom in the middle yeah, of the night. Yeah, he wakes up really early in the morning, and that is kind of the creepy part of the morning where it's like just the sun's about to come up, and you're like, right. you've barely still any light in the house. And so he's like kind of like looking around like, okay, I'll run to the bathroom real quick. And and then, you know, he's peeing, and then suddenly something walks by the doorway. He turns, and you get that great, like, he breathes the – you see the air because it's super cold. Yeah. And uh, then I love the shot where as he's walking – towards the kitchen it's like that first person and it's like kind of creepy because you're with him and yeah. then he goes to the doorway and he thinks it's his mom because she has you know similar hair and is wearing a robe very similar to his mom's i think and and then she turns around and it's a and she's like you know uh, some woman that apparently killed herself when her and her husband was abusive and it's like you can't hurt me anymore you know like 
And it's cre- that's that was the scariest part of the movie for yeah, me. Risk, yeah, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's a frightening moment. That was a fright. My, the most frightening scene for me in the movie usually was that scene uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I, of course, I didn't understand necessarily at the time that. The, the implications of what she was that that she had killed herself but I, you right. know now i'm like damn that's dark that's shit. dark, it's dark yeah. as fuck you know suicide basically yeah. yeah so back all the way up to what i was talking about where he sees the little girl in the, t- in the tent you know he gets played by a, misha barton he's played by misha barton from the oc uh for those of you who, who aren't old enough to remember what the oc was it was kind of like a uh, a kind of a 90210 of its yeah, time. Yeah, a teen angsty romance show from the early 2000s. I think it ran from 2003. Came on Fox. Yeah, I think it ran from 2003 to 2006. So yeah, it, short run, and she was one of the main actresses in it. Right. And uh, she, you know, she doesn't really do much now, but uh, no. this was kind of her first, I think, first role. Right. So. so she was, she was in, she's in the little girl who's obviously dead, and when he first sees her, she's throwing up all over herself. Yeah, it's a pretty creepy scene too. It's pretty yeah. gross. Pretty gross, not gonna lie to you. <laughs> vomit. I mean, vomit's kind of gross. And this but... is right after he had the talk with with Malcolm about listening to the ghosts. Listening so to... initially he runs out of the tent scared and then he decides to go back. And and one interesting thing that I thought was cool about, you know, I was listening to the special features and M Knight talked about how, you know, this was kind of uh, uh the imagery of this scene where he takes the sheet off of her is kind of breaking away that mythos of like ghosts in sheets, you yeah. know, and how you see that, that, Im- that imagery of a ghost in a, with a sheet over him. And in this scene, he's taking the sheet off of the ghost is kind of cool. Um, and, uh, you know, he's like, you know, you, it finishes the scene out where he, he's like, so did you want to tell me something? And um, then it cuts away and then you don't, you don't know what she told him or whatever. And now you're on a bus. You on know, the, on your way to somewhere. It's yeah, it's Cole and Malcolm on a bus, and they're going to this little girl's funeral, basically. Yeah. Right. And yep. they go there, and there's all the you know the mourners and family relatives, whatever, are there. And then he goes upstairs to her room, and he goes under her bed, and he picks up a box, brings it down downstairs back to the memorial service they're having, and he goes up to. The little girl's father and hands him this box and says, "Well, first he asks, you know, are you Kira's dad and all the kind of yeah. stuff." And he's, and he's like, "You know, she wanted you to have this, and it's a VHS tape." And he plays it, and what we find out is that the mother was poisoning the daughter to make it look as if she was sick and dying. Yeah, and it's really disturbing. That's disturbing. Yeah, it's disturbing. Now, now, I'm I'm not sure if it's clear. I, I, is that was that their uh, their actual real mother, or was she a stepmother? I think it was, she was the actual mother. Okay, from I was gonna I've yeah. Read, and from what I've seen, uh, it's the actual mother. Because that's even more disturbing. If it was the stepmother, that one that made that in my head for some reason that was always the reality was that she was like. Uh, a second wife that was brought in that just wanted the father for herself. So she wanted to get rid of the kids. Cause it's also implicated that the little one's getting sick too. And that she's trying to kill the other yeah, child. The other, the younger, the, yeah, the, uh, the youngest daughter uh, who is also apparently sick. We hear people talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and, and the videotape shows that she's poisoning her. Yeah. Uh, I'm, re- I'm looking at the screenplay now and it says the mother pours, you know, okay. Someone to the bottle, the remainder goes into the child's soup, and 
and she replaces the cap and puts the bottle back in back in the closet. And it's very interesting the way the little little girl set up that cam was like in her dollhouse, I believe. Yeah. And it's almost like a nanny cam, if you will. Um, apparently, she had the self awareness to do that because she she thought something was up, and and it's very interesting. It's very interesting how that happened and how it's something that's kind of based on real life. It's a real life thing that, that happens. It's called uh Munchausen syndrome by proxy. That's yeah. what the technical, I guess, term is, which it's a condition derived from Munchausen syndrome. It's a psychiatrist, uh, factitious disorder, wherein those affected, uh, feign disease, illness in psychological uh, or psychological trauma to draw attention. So basically, this woman was poisoning her child to create attention for herself, fake attention, yeah. basically creating this fake scenario to create attention for herself, which is a really interesting psych yeah, psychiatric <laughs> disease, psychological disease. Um, and and that's and that's and this kind of this moment kind of. Fix, not fixes um, Cole's problem, but it, it gives him a way in which to channel his problem into a more positive thing. And yeah, yeah. Is that you know he has a more positive outlook on on things now from a certain perspective because I believe one of the next scenes we see is he's in the school play or my school yeah. or things again. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean after that, you know. Um... You know, he leaves, he talks, he talks with the little sister for a bit and tells her that, you know, you know, gives her like a, like a toy or something that the sister wanted her to have. And then, um, you know, you, you get the idea that now Cole, uh, has, has, like you said, had, had a, this experience has now changed his whole outlook. And now, you know, he's, he's starring in the play that looks like they're doing like the, Sword in the Stone or something yeah, like that. King, the King Arthur legend. Where the he, King Arthur legend. He's actually playing Arthur. Arthur. Yes. And the, and the stupid uh, uh, douchey kid that was the actor is playing like one of the uh, idiot, <laughs> the, idiot, which is one of the funny moments where the kid's like, shut up, imbecile, or something like that. Like, it tells him like, stupid village idiot or something. Yeah, the, Mer the kid's playing Merlin. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Islands village idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And, uh, uh, and yeah, so yeah. The, and then, of course, the, the, the fantasy he had earlier kind of comes true where at the end of the play, they pick him up and the kids are like, yay, cheering for him. And he gets to live out that kind of fantasy. And then um, Cole and Malcolm have kind of one more scene where they um, kind of say their goodbyes and, and, you know, and you know, Cole's like, Hey, let's pretend that we're going to meet again tomorrow, you know, and not actually say goodbye. And, and they have that scene. And then, the very next scene we do, we get that scene where um, Ma uh, Cole and her and his mother are in the car waiting in traffic. There's been an accident, and they're just kind of waiting in traffic. And Cole decides now it's he's finally ready to tell her his secret, yes. um, which is that he sees dead people. And of course, <laughs> of course, you know the reaction you would expect kind of happens, and you know she kind of is like doesn't know what to say. He sees it in her face and kind of what he says earlier. He's like, what do you, what are you thinking, mom? Do you think I'm crazy? Do you, you know, and you know, well, this then is he goes, then he goes into this whole thing about, uh, the grandmother. Yeah. This and... is where that grandmother, that grandmother bubble be pendant thing pays off. Right. Um, where he explains that, 
um, grandma comes and sees him you know, every once in a while. And then at first she looks, she kind of takes offense to it and says that that's going too far. But then when he tells her information that he couldn't have known about uh, her when she was a little girl having this, 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 uh, you know, dance recital that she did and the mother didn't go to it, but that she apparently did go to it. And then, then there's a thing where, you know, he says that, you know, she said something to her at a gravesite and that um, the grandmother said every day. And that the question was like, how, how were you ever proud of me? And she the grandmother apparently answer was every day. Um, so, you know, she, it was his way of ba being able to convince her that he wasn't crazy. Um, right. You know, and which, and, and, and honestly that scene rewatching it again was actually a lot more powerful than I remember like mm. that, you know, getting that, sense of like if you, putting yourself in Cole's position where he's had to keep this secret for so long and his, he could not, he couldn't even tell his own mother who was the person he's supposed to trust the most. And now being able to tell her and for her to believe him is very, a power, very powerful scene um, and very emotional. And, and just, I, I, I thought it was one of the best scenes in the movie. So acting wise, especially. Yeah, it was just, fantastically well done by both uh Haley Joe Osmond and Tony Collette. Um Haley Joe Osmond, I would say in this film in general, I think is really great acting. It's one of the best child performances, I'd, I'd it, say. It definitely is. He, he is able to give a lot of sincere emotional, you know, moments that I think really come across as genuine for someone in his position. And I think it's really punctuated by this scene. And this scene being so important to the overall plot, to the overall character journey, because as we've seen in this film, that it's not only the the character journey of Haley Joe uh, of Haley Joe Osment's Cole, but also in Bruce Willis's Malcolm, where they're both, like you said earlier, well, he, he's seeking got... out connection to something that they haven't been able to connect to. Yeah, I mean, and and he now that he's made his he's the thing is is as m night Shyamalan, he says about this movie he's like we could have ended the movie right here and it would have they been a great, have. it could have ended it right here but you you we finished the arc of cole in this scene and now we needed to finish the arc of malcolm by revealing the big secret which is that he he needed to figure he needed to find out what his place was and accept his place which is that he's not here anymore that right. he's not alive anymore and that he can now move on now that he's helped Cole. He, his unfinished business is yeah, now complete. And Cole gave him advice in speaking and trying to connect and talk with his wife, you know, talk to her when she's sleeping. Yeah. Which, which let me ask you this question. Right. Do you think Cole knew that he was dead for yes. most of this movie? The whole movie. Do you think he knew the whole movie? Yeah, I do. Really? When do you think, like, what moment do you think that he... It goes back to uh, the the bit of dialogue I mentioned earlier in their first, at the end of their first meeting. The next uh -huh. time I see you, I won't be scared. Uh-huh. And so, I, so, so if, if that's the case, then why couldn't he, if he wasn't scared why didn't, of... Why didn't Bruce, he tell him? Well, I'm say, what I'm saying is, is why, if, if he saw him as a dead person when he first met him, right. why wasn't he scared then when he's scared of every other one before? You know what I'm saying? That's a good question. Um, I think that first meeting, I think, set things up for him not to be scared. Yeah. I think it's it it made him be able to 
communicate with the Bruce Willis character and not be frightened. Because as we've seen, his other interactions with the other uh, ghosts, if you will, are shockingly frightening. People yelling, people screaming, blood, you know, gore, vomit, stuff like that. Like, that's frightening. Because you know, cause, cause if, came up to me right now, just started having a conversation and, and I, and I knew it was a ghost. Would I be kind of scared in the moment? Probably. But considering that Cole is, uh, it sees ghosts all the time and is regularly sees ghosts. This was probably something completely different for him. You know, yeah, I, I mean, mean? I, it's just interesting to, to, to kind of think about like, if he knew that he was dead the whole time, um, and in that he was letting this ghost, you know, interact with him regularly and talk with him regularly. Why, you know, in a sense, he was doing the thing that he would eventually um, accept at the end of this movie, which is to listen to the ghosts. Right. He's already listening to Malcolm the whole movie. Yes. Um, you know, so that's kind of an interesting thing. Like I, to, part of me wants to think that it wasn't an initial thing um, I, or that he didn't even really know until the end. Uh, maybe uh, or closer to the end. I don't know. It's hard. It's a thing to think about. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a actual answer to that question or if we're and supposed to. Another you know. thing is another thing that I'm just thinking of in my head is that he never mentions Malcolm to anyone else. Not even his. Sure. Mom. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely true. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot. Of, I mean, you probably, you're probably right, but there's just some questions to me that makes me think that maybe it's possible that he doesn't know initially. Um, but there is one little thing. I think that a subtle acting thing that Bruce Willis does also that indicates uh, him being a ghost is that when he's, wa- there's a couple of times where he's walking around and he's holding his side where he got shot mm. in a couple of scenes. It's very subtle. They don't focus on it in the frame very, but it's really quick. And he's like holding his side and he's walking, and it's the it's where he got shot. And you're like, right. why is yeah. he doing that? Like, yeah, what, he got like, he got shot in his stomach, and the bullet went through. Yeah, it's one of those things when you watch it again, you're like, oh, that's a reference to his his injury, right. his, where he got shot. There's, but there's something else that I read where, when Cole reveals that he can see dead people, the camera cuts right away to Bruce Willis's face. Yeah, yeah, it does. Indicating yeah. that he is dead. <laughs> but well, also, yeah, I mean, like, it yeah, works produce- as a, you know, shot, reaction shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so I think, I, I think when, like I said, when you watch it again, it becomes right. super, o- it feels like it com- becomes super obvious what they're trying to, that the movie's trying to tell you something. But, I mean, on the first watch, I don't think people were ex- assuming that when you went, I'm sure, but I mean, like I said, no internet really at that time. People no, are not we, thinking about we that. Had, we had dial up. Yeah, you know, that terrible cringeworthy sound. Yeah, but but like people were not theory. You know, you didn't have a place to really talk about these theories in debt. I mean, and, yeah, and it's just movies have, were movies were not you know advertised the way they were now. Yeah, you didn't you have know? social media and yeah. stuff like that, like large so, forms. So there was no theories to be able to try to dissect this movie before it even came out. Um, right. it, you didn't you didn't know what to expect with this movie, and um. Nobody was looking for that, and I think that that's why it was such a big surprise for people after for their first viewing. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it like I said at the end here, he has to accept he when he finds out himself that he that he's dead. When you know that she's got the his his wedding ring in his in her hand, and she drops yeah. it, 
and, and it falls, he, and it, it sounds like the one ring hitting the floor. And yeah, the rings yeah. and it rolls, and it's like. It, it, and then he realizes that the ring isn't on his own finger, you know. And he's like, "Is there's a scene early on in the film where she's selling a ring to a an engaged couple, and she yeah. has kind of this very romantic, uh, you know, kind of idea of what the ring symbolizes and stuff like that, you know." Yeah. I think that, you know, a little bit of the person who wears the ring goes into the ring and stuff like that. And it's yeah. very much, you know, literally comes full full circle, haha, a ring being a circle. Yeah, yeah. And later on where like she's holding the ring, she's still holding on to him. You know what I mean? It's very much the exact opposite of what we assumed her feelings were towards him, where, you know, we were, you know, this fake narrative that we had was like there were you know they're they were married couple with the distance between the two where it's the actual opposite where she's literally probably thinking about him all the time yeah uh, she's still in, very much in mourning there's even one scene in the film where she's like in bed and she's like holding tissues uh, and it in it, re-watching the movie it's like that's a clear indication that she, she was probably crying you know what i yeah. mean and so when the ring drops and he looks at his finger, he realizes he's not wearing it. And he, 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 he it's the, it's the epiphany moment it's in epiphany. it. And everything floods into him. Everything that didn't make sense for him as a per, like there, the times where he would go to the basement and for some reason the basement would be locked. Right. Um, he, it was, it, it all flooded into his mind. And now that it made sense, this, that door was locked because. He didn't, you know, it was locked because all his stuff was put down there and locked away because she didn't want to have to see it anymore. Right. And, and, and also, you know, he recalls what Cole said, where there are dead people who don't even know they're dead. Yeah, don't know they're dead. And, you know, also, you know, where he, when he tells them that, you know, he could talk to her in her sleep and that's when she'll she she'll she'll have to listen. She won't even know she's listening. She'll have to listen. Right. He actually does it himself later in the movie, earlier in the movie where, you know he does it with his mom. His mom's having a bad dream. He tells, you know, he kind of comes to her and comforts her in her sleep and she calms down. Um, yes. You know, so there's a lot of parallels there and that's why I don't think it's so clear that, um, that he knows that, you know, Bruce Willis is dead necessarily because he's giving him advice for somebody that as a living person that did himself um, to give that same advice to a ghost, uh, I don't know if that's exactly the. I don't know if that makes it a clear indication. I don't know, but now, I have no idea what what the level of you know what the parameters are. With yeah, I, I, it's, you know it's I mean? an interesting. Like, yeah, goes for ghosts that doesn't go for humans. I don't, I don't know. I just I don't know. I just living people think. But yeah, yeah I mean, I mean, yeah, because ghosts. I, I I've talked to ghosts all the time. You know, <laughs> I, I know how they are, and I'm telling you, they wouldn't take that advice. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it really just comes all together at the end and you know um you know he tells basically when he accepts it and tells her he you know that he loves her and that he has to go uh he thinks he can go now because now that he's helped cole he can he can move on and she can move on because you know him being there is not only uh was not only you know him trying to you know to to have to finish this unfinished business it was also hurting her because his presence being there was causing her to have more grief. Um, and yeah, I mean, now they can all move on. And that's how the movie ends. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sixth sense people. Right. Um, 
so yeah, uh, anybody that's uh, hopefully maybe this was your first time seeing the movie. We'd love to hear your thoughts for the first time you've seen it and, and then listen to us talk about it and spiel about it for an hour and a half. And, and uh, yeah, tell us your thoughts. Did you do, were you surprised by the ending? Um, if this is your fifth or sixth time seeing the movie, tell us, does it still hold up for you? Um, it still holds up for me. I, I think it's a really well done movie, a very tight movie. Um, it's one of my favorite thrillers. Um, and maybe, or maybe I'm just biased because I grew up with it. I don't know, but I, I really enjoy the movie still. Did you still really enjoy the movie watching it again for the second time? I did. I probably liked it even more. Good, good. Yeah. I liked it even more now. And we do want to mention that it was uh, a critical and box office success. It launched M. Night Shyamalan's career, like we said earlier. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Haley Joel Osment, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Tony Collette, like we said, Best Director, M. Night Shyamalan, Best Editing, uh, Best Editing, and Best uh, Screenplay written directly for the screen. So best original screenplay. Um, it's very interesting that a film like this would would be that beloved by the Academy. Yeah, it's uh, it, and especially and this was a time when it was only five nominations. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It was super, I guess you could say exclusive, more exclusive than it is now. And yeah, it was nominated amongst some I think this was the year that American Beauty won. It it is the year that American. And I think Insider got nominated also. Maybe um, it, it was a pretty pretty solid year. Um, I think if I remember correctly, um, I probably would have picked the Insider over American Beauty. That's just me, but because uh, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of American Beauty, I think it's okay. It's just yeah. This this is the year that American Beauty won. But it was, what else was nominated? The Insider, Green Mile. I would the have cider, picked the Green Mile. The cider House Rules. Um, and the Sixth Sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, it kind of is a, kind of reminds you of like back when The Exorcist got nominated. It's kind of the last, like, like you well, said, it's I mean, horror, horror or thriller. I mean, I guess Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. The would be the one before that when that kind of fits the mold. But nowadays, you don't see any movies of this ilk getting nominated for Best Picture, really. I mean, not typically. I mean, last year we did get the shape of we, water. We did get Get Out recently. Yeah, Get Out was also last year. You know, well. uh, but, but Shape of Water is kind of the closest. Well, Shape of Water kind of falls water, water, more into the fantasy water, element than anything. I mean, um, it's like horror, fantasy, romance. Um, it's all of those into one. But we never really got a genre films like that. Typically, don't yeah, get a lot. Of love. Don't get a lot of attention. Yeah. It's usually the period pieces, the the biographies, the yeah. um, you know um, things like that that yeah that that always get the attention in it. You know, like you said, at a, at a time where there was only five nominations for this to get nominated was pretty big deal. I think, you know, I I, it, it, I just wish we would get a lot. I mean, we, there has definitely been changes in the nominations more recently. You know, with things like Black Panther and and you know Bohemian Rhapsody getting nominated. Yeah. So it's definitely we're definitely going back into popular culture a little bit more for these nominations. But um, I, I think this I, when I found out that this movie was nominated for Best Picture, it, it surprised me. I mean, I love the movie, but to get nominated for Best Picture, that's a big deal. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to be it for our uh, discussion of The Sixth Sense. Um, hope we didn't babble on too much. I think we maybe did a little bit. You know, uh, <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff, but um, I. 
I'm Stephen Billings. You can find me Facebook, Instagram, showing off all the stuff I buy. Where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And you can find the audio for this podcast on YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. And that'll be it for this episode. Thanks for listening. And hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>